We're in the middle of a series titled Clutch. We're discussing what it means to be clutch for the kingdom of God. And we are doing this by looking at different themes to help display the idea of what being clutch looks like. In fact, when Pastor Donnie sat me and Mason down to discuss what we didn't know was going to be called the Clutch Series at the time, he started naming off six or seven different themes and categories of ways that we can look at life and realize and see clutch moments within them. And one of the moments he mentioned is what we're going to focus in on today, and that is clutch movie moments. Movies that just, they have these moments within them where you're like, wow, that is a clutch moment. That is a moment where it should be solidified in its own, in its own right, in its own kind of history. So, of course, when he mentioned that, if you know me, you know I love movies. And my blood started to boil. I was like, oh, yeah, let's, I got like 17 different things going through my head. And I had every movie I'd ever seen just somehow, it was like a Rolodex, came back, and I was just picking them out and putting them back in. Y'all didn't know I knew what a Rolodex was, did you? Um, yeah, I do know what a Rolodex is. I'm smart and stuff. So for those of you who don't know, and of course, I, I love movies, but if you don't know this about me, from the sixth grade on up through my first two years of college, I wanted to be a filmmaker. In fact, I went to Dallas Baptist University and studied broadcasting for two years, and I wanted to somehow integrate that within the church. Well, God had a different plan, and he, met, he called me, and he said, hey, you're going to be a pastor, so go do that. So, all right, cool, let's do that. I, I fought it for a long time, but ultimately I knew this is where God wanted me to be. So a large portion of my time, especially during that era and even now in my life, I have devoted a lot of time to studying and watching and learning about movies to the point that I feel so bad for my wife who's running our live stream for me today that she hears me talk about movies and I can just see she's not rolling her eyes but I can see her rolling her eyes in her own in her mind and I feel a little bit bad for her but before we got into uh, the sermon preparation and I wanted to kind of get an idea of what clutch was like I asked for a few people to help me out and get some get some of their clutch movie moments so if you would today indulge me and let me kind of show some of my film nerdness today. I would appreciate it. Y'all let Donnie show his sports nerd stuff all the time. If you can handle that, you should be able to handle like 35 minutes with me at most, okay? So here's what we did. I asked a couple of people to help me out, and I took a page out of Donnie's book and just put the word out to a handful of people, and then also online. I asked uh, my friend Larry Albin, Larry, what, what's your clutch movie moment? He said, it's Captain America wielding Thor's hammer in Avengers Endgame to beat Thanos. If you've not seen any of the Avengers movies, consider educating yourself because these, this is the golden age of superhero movies, all right? And in fact, I think we're leaving that age, but that is a fantastic clutch movie moment. Mason Molinar said one that I had not considered, but it's Spider-Man and Spider-Man Homecoming escaping from a warehouse that had collapsed on top of him, and he comes out of the, uh, the collapsed warehouse, and he escapes to go defeat his enemy in that movie, The Vulture. I asked my friend Stephen Johnson. He's a youth pastor over in Arlington, Texas, and he said it's Luke Skywalker blowing up the Death Star in Star Wars A New Hope, which he's not a Star Wars fan like I am, so I'm a little shocked he said that one. And I told Mason that, and he was like, yeah, that seems kind of off-brand for Stephen, but uh, he said that one, and I was like, hey, I'm loving it. My dad said it's George Bailey and It's a Wonderful Life choosing to run the building and loan instead of heading off to college. It's a clutch movie moment. And then I asked my wife, Hillary, and she said it's Elle Woods and Legally Blonde using her knowledge of perm maintenance to find the defendant guilty of murder in Legally Blonde. I think that's a clutch movie moment. It's a clutch movie moment. 
online, I put the word out to a couple of different, you're like, meh, okay, go watch the scene, it's fantastic. Even me, as a movie buff, I'll indulge myself with a little bit of a chick flick every now and then, and that's right up there top of the list, Mean Girls is number one, I'm just saying. I've asked a couple of different Facebook groups I'm in, and I got a lot of nerdy answers from a lot of people, and I was very thankful for their input, but I heard things like this. It's the president giving the speech to rally the airmen together to defeat the aliens in Independence Day. I heard Inigo Montoya defeating the six-fingered man in A Princess Bride. Clutch movie moment. Batman showing up, to, uh, showing up to fly the nuclear bomb away from Gotham in The Dark Knight Rises. Maybe that's a little more deep cut for some, but hey, go check that one out. And then also online I heard Simba taking his rightful place at Pride Rock at the end of The Lion King. That's a clutch movie moment. And also I just wanted to say here's some of my favorites. It's Gandalf showing up with the Rohirrim at the Battle of Helm's Deep in Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Brian the Nerd from Breakfast Club writing the essay for the five students in detention. Clutch movie moments. It's Indiana Jones choosing wisely. The Holy Grail in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And one of my favorite, it is my favorite baseball movie. Ray Kinsella deciding to plow under his corn to build a baseball field and field of dreams. Fantastic clutch movie moments. I could go on for hours and talk about every movie and to continue to talk about every movie I've ever seen and every clutch moment in every movie I've ever seen, but I genuinely think that it would be better if I just kind of showed you what I meant by that. At this time, we're going to play a video. Toby, will you get the lights for us real quick? And let's play that video. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered full of darkness and danger they were and sometimes you didn't want to know the end because how could the end be happy how could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad happened you know very well what you're talking about you're talking about something you can't get your fingers on and it's galling you that's what you're talking about but in the end it's only a passing thing the shadow even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it will shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you. That meant something. Even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Furrow, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't. They kept going. Because they were holding on to something. What are we holding on to, Sam? Say when. But there's some good in this world, Mr. Ford. And it's worth fighting for. In case you're unfamiliar, that is Samwise Gamgee's speech from Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. And I have to fight off tears watching it because I love that movie so much. I love that scene so much. I love what he says there at the end of his speech. He says, there's some good in this world, and it's worth fighting for. Our world needs something worth fighting for. We live in a very dark age, and I think, in, in time, and... And even though things seem sort of great a lot of the times, we have a period of time spiritually where it is very dark. And 
as I said, our world needs something worth fighting for. There are causes that we can support with deep-rooted problems worth solving. There are places and organizations that we could send our finances to. We can even volunteer our time at all of these various different places and doing these different things. But there is only one mission in the entire world that is worth giving all our efforts toward. And it is for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I searched all over scripture. I mean, I'm telling you, I went to the Old Testament. I started in Genesis. I went all the way to the end to Revelation and tried to find a moment that would just be worthy of being called clutch in scripture. And listen, there are plenty of clutch moments in scripture. I'm not saying there aren't. But one that is worthy of cinematic proportions, one that deserves its own film, and it has been redone several times, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I, I want to talk to you about that today. Even though there are worthy uh, moments all throughout Scripture, the resurrection is the only one that I could genuinely be reminded of. This is the one. This is the most cinematic moment in all of history. This is a clutch movie moment, if there ever was one. So I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27. We're going to be towards the end of the first book of the New Testament. We're going to be in verse number 50. I'll give you a second to turn there. And as you're turning... I'll go ahead and read. It's just one verse, very simple verse. Matthew 27, verse 50 says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and he yielded up his spirit. This, of course, is the moment when Jesus dies. This is the moment of Jesus' death. Last Sunday, I had the privilege of filling in for our pastor as he was recovering from having COVID, and, and I had the privilege of speaking on the topic of spiritual freedom and independence from sin. And in that message, I said that we tend to think of Jesus' death as nothing more than just a sad moment. I said this last week. I want to say it again. Jesus' death does seem sad at face value. But there's so much more taking place in his death that oftentimes, if we're not careful and we don't pay attention to Scripture, we're going to overlook the power that his death has. And, we, and the fact of the matter is we don't deal with face value as believers. We have to dig deeper into Scripture. We have to understand what is being said within God's Word, within the context of His Word. Remember this, Jesus has, at this point in time, spent three years walking around with 12 other guys proclaiming truths, exposing religious fakes, and making statements and claims that would classify Him as insane if it were not for the mere fact that He is God in the flesh. He would be classified as insane for doing these things. And he proved that he not only was not insane, but he is and, and was and still is the son of the living God. We love movie moments when it looks like the hero appears to be down and out, but makes a return to defeat the villain. We, we love movie moments like that. In fact, that is the literal DNA of every comic book movie you will ever see. Think about it. It's, if you name any comic book movie, that's what's going to take place. The hero's going to look down and out, and then they're going to come back and defeat the villain. Again, at face value, it would seem Jesus' death equals failure. Because most of the time, to see a hero die means the villain wins. When you see the hero die, it usually means the villain wins. It's why moments like Bruce Wayne... Climbing his way out of the prison and the dark night rises is such a crucial moment to that story. If you don't know the movie, just let me recap it for you real quick. Batman, he meets a new villain, somebody he is, he's actually been out of the game for about eight years. He's hurt his leg in the dark night fighting Two-Face and the Joker. He's out of it for eight years, comes back when Bane shows up. 
If you don't know Bane, he's like Super Jack, Tom Hardy, okay? He looks like Kurt Noggle. And, uh, and Kurt, that's not a dig on you. You're a jack dude, man. I don't want to mess with you. Man. I don't want to mess with Bane either. But so he gets in a fight with Bane. Bane breaks his back. He puts him in a prison somewhere in Morocco. He climbs out of this prison, and he comes to the point where he overcomes all of his issues that he had with his physical ailments to come back and defeat Bane at the end of The Dark Knight Rises and save Gotham City. And again, this is why Jesus' death is not a sad moment. It's because he comes back and he defeats the enemy because he brings hope to the forefront. And after three days, that's that payoff of Jesus coming back to life and coming, uh, and we see the payoff come to light. Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 2. Again, these verses kind of start off a little bit sad. They end in quite a bit of happiness. Probably the purest form of happiness that any individual could ever know or experience. 28 verses 1 through 2 say, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, this is, of course, Easter Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. You go to see the tomb to anoint the body with certain oils to help it not stink so bad as it begins to decay. It's a very ritualistic process that takes place within Jewish culture at the time. And it goes on and says, And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone, and then he sat on it. Listen, I prefer, I think I prefer this account of the first Easter Sunday morning to the ones in Mark, Luke, and John, only really because this is the only one where we actually see what rolled the stone away. It was an earthquake that came by way of an angelic appearance. An angel appeared and came down to earth, and it shook the world to its core, quite literally, and then a giant wheel of stone rolled backwards. And then the angel just said, I'm going to wait now. It's that quick. It was, it's this insanely cool moment. And of course, in and of itself, it's, it's cinematic. And he just sits on it. And let's be honest. How many moments... Can you name where an earthquake actually gave hope? Can you think of any time where earthquake... I can't. I'm sure that there might be one or two aside from this one. Maybe. Like, maybe. I I doubt it. I've never heard of an earthquake where it actually gave hope. This may be the only time in all of history since the beginning of time where an earthquake actually did something hopeful. I mean, it's insane when you put it into words like that. Verses 5 through 8 go on to say, But the angel said to the woman, or the women, excuse me, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. I mean, that's some good stuff. Without, that, without those words, our faith is meaningless, by the way. Without Jesus rising from the grave and walking out of the tomb and that angel rolling that stone back so he could walk out, man, our faith is meaningless, but thank God he did. And, of course, the angel says, For he is risen as he said he would. Come see the place where he once lay. Then, as after you do this, go quickly and tell the disciples of what you've seen here today. Go and tell them that he's risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you in Galilee. Not only has he risen from the dead, He's going to show up and show off to you. He's going to show himself to you. He's going to come out of that tomb. He's already walked out of the tomb at this point in the story. He has only a handful of scars left on his body. Of course, those are the ones where the nails went through his hands and feet and where the spear went into his side. The only blemish, if you will, I'm not even really a blemish. If anything, it's a marking of the greatness that he performed on the cross, dying for us. 
It's the only thing that remains from the scars that he, was, that he endured through such brutality. The announcement of Jesus' resurrection sent the darkness of the world, the sin of the world, and Satan himself running in what, away in fear of their imminent doom. And listen, I know it's been 2,000 years since this took place. It doesn't seem all that imminent. It doesn't seem like it's happening anytime soon. But listen, if we are to believe that we are living in the last days, we have to assume that we are the ones that God puts in in the fourth quarter when we need the touchdown. We have to assume that we're the ones that are going to catch the touchdown pass or throw the touchdown pass. We're in the red zone. We're at a point in time where the bases are loaded, ninth inning, we need a grand slam to win. It's time. It's time to step up. If you haven't stepped up, consider being somebody that will be clutch for the kingdom. Because that's what Jesus did when he sent Satan running. And by the way, just because he died does not mean he lost. Jesus did not lose. In fact, it means he won. And he won the battle, as it says in Revelation 1.18. And in the wake of his victory, he issues forth a challenge to his followers. It's probably the greatest pregame speech you'll ever hear. Samwise Gamgee's speech in the Two Towers was pretty freaking good. But it's not this speech. It's not the words that Jesus spoke there on the Mount of Olives. See, Jesus issues forth what we've come to call the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And we call it that because there is no greater command or duty given to the followers of Jesus. There is no greater thing that we could do than to follow what this command from Jesus says here in Matthew 28. It says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, this is probably one of the better parts of this speech. I am with you always to the end of the age. The end of the age means to the end of time, by the way. Jesus has never left us or forsaken us, and by the way, he never will. Amen. He's always going to be right there alongside us, fighting the fight with, with us. Now, you may say, DJ, you read the same verses last week. What gives? I'll tell you what gives. There is no greater moment as clutch in all of history than Jesus dying on the cross, being buried and walking out of the tomb, and then following that up with what the Blues Brothers might have described as a mission from God. And then they go on, and then we go on this mission from God because listen here, my friends, if you have been saved and you have been blood bought by Jesus, you are to be on a mission from God. It's a 100% our calling as Christians, as followers of Christ. If you proclaim to be a Christian and you do not exercise faith through doing the Great Commission as Jesus has claimed, I got news for you you're probably not a Christian. You probably need to get some things right. If you're not doing what God has commanded you to do, and by the way, this is for me too. There's times when I get off track. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm just saying we all need to understand that there are, there are times when we've got to get on the horse, saddle up, and ride. Regulators, mount up. It's time. We've got to do work. Our God provide, performed the most incredible act of mercy when he died on the cross. Amen. And to accept that mercifulness without sharing how it has changed your life would be an absolute waste. Literal, you're just treating something so amazing. It's like taking, it's like, okay, it's like this. It's like you see your favorite movie. Whatever it is, it's your favorite movie. And someone says, hey, what's your favorite movie? And you say, it's blank. 
and they say, that is the worst movie I've ever seen. I hate that movie. Are you not going to defend that movie? I would. I'll defend it till I'm out of breath. And by the way, I have plenty of times. All right? Me being the huge, fat Star Wars nerd I am, I have defended The Last Jedi more times than I care to count. All right? But the truth of the matter is, this is what takes place as Christians. We are to defend the Word of God. We are to perform the call that God has placed on our lives. And when we do not do that, we are wasting not only our time, but God's time. We are wasting away with what God gave us. I need to get a swig. I'm sorry. Matthew chapter 7, turn there with me. Verses 21 through 20, or 21 through 23. Jesus said this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? But Jesus will say to them and declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. To merely seem like we are on mission is not enough. We must remain on mission. If you want to be considered clutch, if you want to be the guy or the lady that God's put in at, the, at crunch time, as Donnie said in our promo video, this is how you do it. You can't just seem like you're doing it. You've got to be doing it. You've got to remain on mission. You've got to stay on mission. To be considered clutch in a day in history where hope seems to be gone and continues to seem to trickle off down some river who knows where it's flowing. If we're to remain clutch and be considered clutch and where hope seems to be gone and turning back seems like the best option, we've got to see the other end of the story. We got to see the other end, what's going to happen. Because, by the way, in the end, we have victory. In the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, oh man, it'll shine out the clearer. There's some good in this world, and it is worth fighting for. Listen, people who say that J.R.R. Tolkien was an atheist and had no intention of paralleling scripture in any way, bull. <laughs> when Tolkien wrote these words for the Lord of the Rings books all those years ago, I'm telling you, he knew that Jesus was in the midst of his words. Y'all may not think that, but I'm telling you, that's truth. The shadow of darkness that looms over the world, one day it's going to fall away. This darkness of sin that's shadowing over our lives, that seems to never be disappearing or going away, it's going to go away. It's going to leave because the sun is going to shine out the clear and the darkness is going to pass because of Christ's death on the cross and because of his resurrection. And he has left behind a mission to usher in an era of pure righteousness. We are, a, we are on the cusp of entering into an era of pure righteousness. I don't know if you're aware of this, but all across our nation, there is this movement that's being called the discipleship movement. People have understood over the last 20, 25, 30 years, we rose up, arose up a generation that knew about God, but didn't have a relationship with God. And now that we're entering into this movement, this discipleship era, if you will, of training and teaching and, and professing and understanding what the scriptures actually say, 
we're on the cusp of an era of absolute pure righteousness when darkness will no longer be across the face of the earth. Therefore, we must be clutch for the kingdom. With, without doing these works, without doing these things, we will fail and we will drop off. And unfortunately, many people do that on a very regular basis. If there was ever a, a moment in Scripture... I said this a minute ago, I, I want to make it very clear today. If there was ever a moment in Scripture that was worthy of a cinematic approach, if there was ever a story in the Bible, and by the way, the Bible's filled with stories that should be movies. Unfortunately, Hollywood screws that up all the time. Look at Noah or Exodus with Christian Bale. It's terrible, horrible movies. <laughs> they tried, mm, sort of. But if there was ever a moment or ever a movie that got this story right. Man, in 2004, there was a film, you may have heard of it, it's called The Passion of the Christ. It details the final moments leading up to Jesus' death. And by the way, somebody was gutsy enough to try to recreate the most clutch moment in all of history and put it on film. Now, movies are always a risk. You have to take out massive loans to make a movie. And you hope that the box office returns, and nowadays the streaming returns, actually make up for the revenue. You know what I mean? You have, that's, how, that's how films work. That's how TV works. It's all about views. It's all about box office numbers. Man, this is a gutsy moment that Mel Gibson tried to put on film. And if it didn't work, he was going to go down as a laughingstock. Man, I'm so glad this movie worked. As I said, it details those final moments of Jesus' death. And although what Mel Gibson put on screen is accurate in many ways. It's not precise. You know, there's a difference between accuracy and precision. You can be close, but precise, that's a whole other ballgame. It's like a pitcher getting up and throwing a strike in the same place three times in a row, every single batter. That's precision. That's insane precision, and it's impossible. It's like somebody shooting an arrow. It's like Robin Hood shooting an arrow through another arrow over and over and over again. So he's got 50 arrows all hitting the bullseye on the target. It's, that's what precision is. Mel Gibson got accurate, but he wasn't precise. The full gravity and the scope as to what Jesus endured through the horrible beating and the brutality and the, just the amount of the weight of all of humanity before and after sin weighing on him. You know, historians and archaeologists and whatnot will say that sometimes crucifixions would take several hours, several days. Jesus was dead in three hours. That's the weight of what was on him. Something that should have taken days took three hours to kill him. That was the weight. That was the gravity. That was how insane what took place that day, what happened. And by the way, Jesus came in clutch with a sacrifice that we do not deserve. And by the way, we still do not deserve that sacrifice. But he did sacrifice his life. And by doing so, his actions encapsulate the most victorious moment in all of human history. It's a beautiful moment. It looks sad at face value. We see a man bloodied on the cross. Let's go ahead and throw that next slide up there, Lucky. Uh, this beautiful moment of, it's, it's a beautiful moment. This is a scene from the Passion of the Christ, but when you think about it, this is Jesus. Bloodied and bruised and beaten, wearing a crown of thorns, carrying something who knows how much times his own weight. Barely able to get up the Via Della Rosa to go to Golgotha. But you know what? He does it. Why? Because that's what love looks like. Yeah. This, is, this is the embodiment of love. This is the embodiment of what pure 
sacrifice looks like. And by the way, speaking of sacrifice, this wasn't in my notes, but I feel like I need to get a little Old Testament here for just a second. Listen, the reason sacrifice is such an important thing is because you needed to sacrifice an animal to put your sins on. If you were a Jew, you had to somehow, you do some sort of sacrifice to appease the sins of your life. And this was something that took place constantly, annually. It took place all the time. And by the way, that's, that meat that was used for that was how the priests were fed. So by the way, if anybody wants to sacrifice some steak, you can give it to me. That'd be fantastic. I appreciate that. Okay? But listen, when that took place, this was the sacrifice that bore all sacrifices. This took away any need for a sacrifice more. That's why you didn't have to show up with a cow or a lamb or a, pi- or a pigeon this morning. Pigeons are gross, by the way. You didn't have to show up with any of that to sacrifice that because this is what tr- the sacrifice was endured for you. It's do it for me. Jesus did that for us. The Passion of the Christ did an excellent job of helping us to understand the brutality of Jesus' crucifixion. It didn't even really come close to the real thing. I mean, this is just a, a glimpse of what Jesus endured. I mean, this is, it gets close, but it doesn't show the full spectrum. But I do believe that what Mel Gibson did was, what he captured well, was actually the moment that our Savior came back from the dead and walked out of the tomb. And listen, if you've never seen The Passion of the Christ, I could recommend about 50 movies to you. I've seen The Passion of the Christ in its entirety one time. One time. And that is because I don't think I can handle it again. I don't think I can handle watching it again. If you've never seen The Passion of the Christ, watch it. By the way, the one time I saw it was in theaters with my parents in 2004. I, was, I don't even know if I was 10 yet, but they took me to see the movie. And I'm glad they did. Because it showed an example to me of what Christ did on the cross. It shows me the reality. Even though it's not precise, its accuracy is staggering. If you've never seen it, watch it. But the truth of the matter is, I'm not really here to talk about the crucifixion as much as I am to hear talk about the resurrection. Crucifixion is where the battle was fought, but the resurrection is where the war was won. And by the way, we're going through battles after battle after battle every day in our lives, whether it be spiritual or some other thing, but the spiritual battles that take place in our lives, just give it to Jesus because he's already won the war. And we're victorious because the end of the book tells us so. Not just because the end of the book tells us so, because we have faith that what Jesus did 2,000 years ago settled the war. It ended the war. And Satan, he hasn't surrendered yet. And I bet you what? He's probably not going to surrender. He's going to go down kicking and screaming into the lake of fire. Because he's seen the story how it ends. He understands. He's read the book. I tell you, I know he has because his demons used to quote scripture to Jesus. And so did Satan. In case you forgot, beginning of Matthew, go read it. It's fantastic stuff. And Jesus overcame that too, by the way. Just shows you how clutch he is. So what I want to do is, before we end our day and at the conclusion of a video that we're about to show, and listen, we're talking about movies. How could I not show some movie clips? Okay. At the end of this video, we're going to have uh, Brother Brandon come up and do some announcements, and then Pastor Don got something to say. But I want to show you this moment that's so beautiful. It's, it's, I swear it's the only thing that Mel Gibson had to have gotten almost totally precise. This moment where the stone rolls away and Jesus walks out of the tomb. Before we do that, if you haven't already, read these two things. This is my challenge for you today. Stay on mission and do the work that God has called us to do. If you want to be clutch for the kingdom, stay on mission. Secondly, remember that we are more than conquerors through Christ because it is not us who lives, but it is Christ who lives in us.